Hello and welcome to Scatterbrains, a podcast hosted by me, Lauren. And me, Fatma. This is a podcast for people like us, Scatterbrains. Each week we choose a random topic we and go. we have a conversation. I already need a drink. That was bad timing. <laughs> Intense. So, part two. Yeah. So, we missed a few in the last week that I wanted to... Too many to choose from. Too many to choose from, yeah. So, do you want me to start the one that I missed? So yeah, the the one the stories that I have today are I guess they're they're in the same line. They were mysteries, the two of them that I want to discuss, and then maybe you can share Jody Arias one. But sure, yeah, the two that I have were like mysteries for quite a lot of years, and then they were they were cold cases that were solved. Um, Great. So yeah, I so I'll start with. The murder of Jerry Rasmussen. I'm sure you've seen this one, right? You you know about this case. Yeah, I do know this one. Mm-hmm. All right, perfect. I'll begin uh, with some of the details of this case. I can go in the backstory of when I first got to know about this case was, I think, like three to four years ago is when I started <laughs> searching about this and I got to know more about it. But what happened was that it was the year, I think it was the 80s, right? Yeah, I feel like it was. Yeah, Mm -hmm. so it was 1986 and it was Los Angeles as it always is (laughs) in all of these cases. Mm -hmm. And there were a series of um, robberies happening in a neighborhood. And one day there was this nurse called Harry Rasmussen and they found her dead they thought that it is connected to all of the robberies that were happening in the neighborhood yeah and it looked like she had kind of a struggle or kind of had a fight with whoever was the one who killed her and one thing that they saw on her body was this bite mark which was unusual but yeah so they tried to look for it but it was like one of those cold cases where they couldn't figure out who it was and at that time there were there were like too many cases for them to look into this one so they didn't think much of it and they just tied it to the robberies and that was the end of it fast forward to i believe it was in 2000s, right? It was like a cold case. Nothing happened. Then what happened was that in the 2000s, when the crime rate was lower, they started mm-hmm. opening the cold cases to see if they can resolve some of them. And so they opened the Sherry Rasmussen one. I want to give the backstory now <laughs> so I connect the both of them. Yeah, now, seems what like happened? a good point. Yeah. So now what happened? Uh, exactly what happened was that there was this detective who was a Stephanie Lazarus. She had a boyfriend in her college that maybe she loved. And they broke mm-hmm. up and the boyfriend married this nurse called Sherry Rasmussen. So at that point, she was really jealous of her. She was quite beautiful. I don't know if you guys have seen or heard about this case, but yeah, she, she was quite 
beautiful and she was kind like that's how people remember her by and so her ex got married to her and now she's really jealous and mad so what she does is mm-hmm. that at some point i think she went to the hospital and ha- had an uh, argument with her and yeah so what she does is that one day she breaks into her home and she and sherry have this big fight and she kills her and in during that fight she bites her sherry because sherry is defending herself and what Mm -hmm. stephanie then does is she leaves the uh, sort of the crime scene and what happens is because she is part of the police and she's she's there she's from lapd so what happens next is that she sort of ties it to those robberies. Over the years, she gets rid of all of the evidence on her files. But one thing she had no clue about was that the bite mark uh, was something the detectives saw. And they took like a swab of that, like a DNA of her from that yeah. bite mark. So that was like hidden. Nobody looked at it because of there are too many cases and nobody looked at it until now that the case is open so mm-hmm. when they opened this case they looked and they said like there is no evidence other than that dna so now they check it and they find out that stephanie's now at this point stephanie has been in lapd i believe for 20 25 to 26 years she's like a detective she's an higher position yeah and she, she sort of rose in the ranks she uh she rose in the ranks and she's she thinks that she's got away with it she's got she's gotten away with the murder but she's like this one piece of evidence she couldn't bury yeah now everyone knows that she's she's connected she's the murderer um, so what they do is they tell her that they need information, I think, on some other case and they lure her in for an interrogation. Uh, in the beginning, they are telling her, I, I believe you've seen her interrogation. It's quite a, quite something. <laughs> I have indeed seen it. Oh, God. <laughs> the, there's so many yeah. jokes around that. Anyway, <laughs> so now she's in the room, and um, we'll link it to the episode, and you get everyone can definitely, watch it yeah, well. it's definitely worth a watch for anybody looking for some light entertainment. Now yeah. they're in the room, and like you guys can watch it, all of it. And now they're in the room, and now they begin questioning her about Sherry, and that's when she, you can see her, like she's she's not really freaked out. Um, and they, whenever they ask her, uh, I, I don't know if you noticed, but whenever they ask her questions, she's like, yeah, it was a million years ago. It was a million years ago. I don't remember. <laughs> and then she goes from here to there, like, um, they ask her, okay, did you meet, uh, what was the name of the husband? Uh, Sherry's husband. Was it John? John. Yeah. They're like, how do you, how did you meet John? Like, were, were you friends with John? Uh, in college and she's like mm, I had a friend but then I had that neighbor who had that cat and then the neighbors like she goes on I, yeah I forgot about that they, so she, many tangents she's giving like really details that nobody cares about and she's just mm-hmm. and whatever they ask like did you ever meet Sherry she's like mm, geez gosh I don't know it was a million years ago <laughs> that's all that she says now she's really, like really freaking out because they're asking him these questions 
but at the same time, she's really stupid, like Chris Watts. She she's not even considering a lawyer, or considering. Yeah, yeah I think we're gonna discuss like the psychological aspect of it all as well. But I feel like this stems from you don't want a bad face. That's why people don't call the lawyers because then uh, you might look like you are guilty of something, and that's You're why people guilty, think yeah. that they can just you know not call the lawyer until they <laughs> they're in it like back they just have to call the lawyer so yeah it's a certain indicator of guilt yeah so that's why uh, like i understand why these people don't go for the lawyer first which is like the wisest thing to do before you spill all the beans uh, but anyway she she's a detective she's worked 26 years she should have known but she didn't i guess she wanted to save her face and not look guilty so she goes on and on about whatever they ask about Sherry. She's like, geez, gosh, I don't know. A million years ago that happened. And she's trying to like, it's it's a watch. Everyone should watch it and see how she goes on about it. And then they ask if she ever met her at the hospital, if they had a fight because Sherry's friends have been telling this about. And she's like, geez, gosh, maybe, maybe we met at the hospital. I don't know. Those words, exactly. (laughs) I don't know. It happened million years ago. And and the expressions. Um, Anyway, so, and then they keep on asking, they keep on pressing her about it. And now she's like, you you guys are trying to pin pin something on me. now and what happens is she's like geez gosh i need a lawyer and Mm -hmm. then she leaves the room this whole i think it's a one hour tape i don't know yeah because don't they ask her for like to provide a um a dna DNA sample and she's like out of here (laughs) yeah she's she's out of it she says i maybe she's like maybe maybe i will (laughs) maybe i will maybe i will uh but geez gosh i have to call my lawyer um and then she starts leaving the room and you can see it uh and then i don't know if you ever caught that you could hear what's happening outside of the room but basically she's getting arrested so so what happened was when she was she entered the interrogation room she was surrounded by the police who was going to arrest her as she comes out because they had like 100 percent evidence on her and there was no way it was just a mm-hmm. sort of a ruse to get more things out of her every like they were outside to arrest her and um so uh they knew if she was gonna walk out of that uh room they were going to arrest her so in, in the interrogation tape you if you see she goes out and then you can hear that you know you're under arrest and you have right to remain silent and all of that uh and then she comes in and she she comes in again in the interrogation room and this time she has handcuffs around her hand and uh, geez, gosh, mm-hmm. <laughs> geez, gosh, she's arrested, and she, and she's she's like, I'm gonna going to call my lawyers, uh, but anyway, she um she was then found guilty by the jury. Her trial is also on YouTube, by the way. Is she in full life right now? I I think um um should be in this case. Geez, gosh, is she in full life? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, basically. Uh, she was convicted in March 2012. That's quite late, isn't um, it? But I think the what I like, what yeah. I, what is the interesting part is a cold case, and then it was solved. And uh, oh yeah, she was eligible for parole in 2034. Oh god, jeez, gosh. Um. <laughs> <laughs> oh god. 
all right so yeah so i think that the part about um it being a cold case and then 20 30 years between and then she she in her head she must have been really thinking that she got away with it right yeah after like what was it 23 years yeah after 23 years uh, somebody calls you in a room and i guess i can understand all the g's and goshes then like after 23 years uh you get caught <laughs> so yeah I, I guess i understand but she must have been pretty arrogant to think like okay i've gotten away with this but she did have 20 years to come up with a decent like alibi on the chance that she would be questioned. I think that it's actually of the opposite. If she had been suspect and in that year, she must have been coming up with stuff. Sure. But she was but after like years and years, she was it she must have thought that she's she's gotten away with it and there is no way she's she could have anyone could yeah. and then she was caught off guard. It's like mm-hmm, one of those mm-hmm. things of course, we, we've never done something as horrible as this. But it's like one of those things that's in the past and you, you think you're not going to have have to worry about, but then it's in your face and you can't do anything about it. So so I believe that all of that didn't even like sort of occur to her. It must have been in the first year of when she did it. That she's That's how she's going to build an alibi or that's how she's going to defend herself and all that. But... When she got caught after 23 years, she must have thought that she she has nothing that she remembers. So, yeah. Anyway, her interrogation her, her interrogation tape is uh, one of the most entertaining ones. Definitely is, yeah. It's just, it's almost like I get like secondhand embarrassment. embarrassment like, yeah, exactly. It just, it really gets to me that, like, I, I watched it, uh, clips of it again this week in prep. It's just like it's the it's the repetition, like it's this the oh gosh and like gee and yeah, it's a million yeah. years ago and it's yeah. it, from the from the off you can sort of tell that she's so she's trying to cover her ass and it just didn't work out for her. YouTube comments, I I did a screenshot, one or two two comments. So one is one goes like this: Is your name Stephanie? And then. She's like, well, gosh, I don't know. It could be me. I mean, gee, my parents named me like a million years ago. <laughs> so the comments under this. They always are, come up with the good. But it's really sad about Sherry, uh, by the way, which I felt really horrible. And if you see John's statement, uh, I'm not sure if you've seen it. It's just quite sad with her family. And even uh, Stephanie's family, they didn't think she was a murderer. Her, she had a husband. And. Mm-hmm imagine marrying someone who you think is normal and then finding out they've killed someone 20 years ago so yeah that's like a really sad part about it i feel like with certain people you can obviously tell you only know like after the fact but she has crazy eyes like she has crazy eyes she really has those crazy eyes they really give her away have you seen her on her trial she has the most crazy eyes She has the most crazy eyes on her trial. If you just Google it, if you Google her right now. Um, oh, God. Trial. If you just Google it Let's... and Google the images, the first one that you see, she's got Ooh, the crazy yep. eyes. Yep. She has indeed. Yeah, she is uh, missing a few screws. That is for sure. Again, it's like one of those things. Uh, 
the murder is being it's basically jealousy that was the whole reason that she she killed Jerry so yeah she was just filled with jealous rage I guess yeah um, makes me wonder if people like obviously we'll get into this but like what drives people to do like can anybody just flip or is it something that is predisposed like yeah it's a mystery it really is so i guess we want to move to the bear brook murders because yes tell me about this one this i don't is know this one. Quite a story so fasten your seatbelt for it uh because this story is so weird with its timelines and its dates and it's like all of that so so let me try to make sense of it so what happened was in 1985 two hunters were going and it was bear brooks state park in allistown new hampshire Mm -hmm. and what happened was they found these two barrels i think they found a barrel and inside the barrel was two bodies one was of an adult female and one was a like a younger girl so it looked like that these murders had been done between 1977 to like 1980 like that was the timeline that they from right. the autopsy that's what they mm-hmm. found out and they also found out that the murder was done like the victim died of a trauma to head so like a brick or something uh, was okay. hit and one was supposedly a woman around like 23 to 30 that was the age that they found and the girl was like around 8 to 10 is what they found out and then they tried to look around but they couldn't find it and because there wasn't something that they could so it sort of became a cold case and that was the extent of it now then yeah. this happened in 1985 now comes the year 2000 and it's been 15 years nothing happened to those cases it's a cold case uh, two two murders no clues of who the victim is or who the murder is uh in 2000 yeah. uh, just like 100 meters away from that barrel they found another barrel and in that barrel they found two more girls two young girls and yeah it's just a weird weird case so now they found like after 15 years they found two 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 young girls again and one of them is uh, like one year old and Mm. one of them is between age two to four and mm-hmm. now they think it's a family. Like it was a mom and three girls who were killed. And that's the sort of clue they have so far. Now now they're okay. investigating and looking at things and all of that. And there, there used to be like a trailer park around this area. And there are, um, they have a few suspects there because lots of creeps live there. But they cannot say for sure, right? and okay. uh but i want to share like sort of the autopsy of these girls and their mom um so um uh, the the autopsy that she had was like okay she's estimated between 23 to 33 and 
an interesting fact was that her teeth showed significant dental work, including multiple fillings and three extractions. I don't know. And they were just trying to see what else they can get from the autopsy. And one of the mm-hmm. girls had symptoms of pneumonia and um, she had like a crooked front teeth and like the uh, space between her top teeth and she was wearing two earrings. Uh, now, after like 15 years, the other bodies that they had was the girl, one year old girl had again gap between her front teeth. And the other girl, which was one to three years old, also had a gap between her front teeth. So, right. so I, I guess, oh, based on all of that, they 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 came to conclusion that it was a family, and um, a mom and three girls. Now there is no clue on what happens next. Uh, now, now we take this story <laughs> to one side, and now we're gonna look at the other side of the story, which is like so much things happening on who actually the murderer is, and what happened. Right. There was this guy called Terry Rasmussen. Now, interestingly enough, in this case, the serial killer is Rasmussen, and in Stephanie Lazarus' case, the sorry, the victim was Rasmussen. Anyway, so there's this guy called Terry Rasmussen, and mm-hmm. uh, his backstory is that he was he dropped out of high school. He went to, uh, I guess, military. Like I think he went to Navy, and then he came back, and then he had um, he got married and. He had four children and then he took off. That that happened in 1975. Now, sure. um, he used to be seen with like different um, women and... A player. I see. <laughs> oh, God. This guy, it just gets weird and weird anyway. So he he had a, I guess he had a, he had a partner. Someone he's dating was, uh, D- I guess, Denise. Yeah, Denise. And she had a, uh, she had a daughter like Lisa. Yeah, I think Lisa. And she went missing. And right. he pretended that Lisa was like his daughter. And he he got arrested. And he was like Lisa was living with him. And Lisa also thought that he he was her dad. And one day he was drunk driving and he got arrested and for like uh, negligence. And then Lisa was sent to a foster home, and that was the end of it. Now, this guy used to change his alias. Like, he used to change his name. So at some point, he was um, Bob Evans, uh, Gordon Jensen, um, like all of these names. So whatever he could combine mm-hmm. together, he made these names. And he had different alias all this time. Now, uh, after he got out of jail, he changed his name again. And at this point, he married another woman um, who was disappeared one year after her marriage and then we found her body in a cat litter in their home and the oh, cause what? of the cat litter oh, oh god okay. yeah yep. and her um, cause of death was blunt force trauma to the head then he was arrested to which he like pled no contest and the charges were sentenced to 15 years to life in jail. In 2010, he died in prison of uh, lung cancer. So he, he did his, I think, seven years there, and then he died. Now, at this point, right. these are like separate 
crimes and um, like this is a separate story and nobody is connecting these to the Bearbrook murders and this guy is serving his sentence for the other murder that he did so what happened was that Lisa also wanted to see who her father was so I think she had like a test uh, and uh, like DNA test and she found out that this guy wasn't her father at the same time um they're trying to look for clues for the Bearbrook murders. Now, what happened to that like Bearbrook Bearbrook murder story? They do you want me to st- share the like how they found out or the backstory of the Bearbrook family? Like I don't know if how it works. Um, that better. Anyway, whatever you so, think. Yeah, I think it's better to tell um what happened to the family and who it was. Basically, mm-hmm. uh. They found out who that family is just like last year. This like this is the salt right. who it was last year. I guess in 2019 is when they found out who the family is. So there was this woman. Uh-huh. Uh, Let me just pull out the names. Um, yeah, this is Mary um, Elizabeth, and so she had two daughters. Uh, from different biological fathers. One was Mary Elizabeth, one was right. Sarah Lynn. And she met, she was last seen in 1978. Uh, she was with the, with her family and she had a fight and she left with her two daughters. And now uh, the family didn't think much of it in, 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 in terms of like, um, yeah, she had a fight and she left. So they didn't follow up on her. On what happened to her. Right. Basically, what happened was she was seeing Terry Rasmussen. And she she went to see him. Nobody knows that she went to see him, but everyone knows that she left with her daughters. Ah. And that's how... Here we have the link. Here we have the link. Now, how did they find out like the connection between Terry Rasmussen and this family? So her daughter, Sarah Lynn, which was like the one-year-old baby which we found the remains of, mm-hmm. were her brother, like from the father's side, wanted to find the sister. So he put up like the DNA and all of that on Ancestry.com. And right. somehow, like you and me, there are people out in the, on the internet who are, who are actively looking to solve cold cases. And mm-hmm. there was this librarian who connected the dots a few dots and like detectives are on this case and they're they're trying to solve it as well but basically at some to someone it was pretty clear what happened there connecting all these these dots and all of these dna tests and so mm-hmm. what they find out is that a terry Asmussen killed killed them and then they found their identities in 2019 is when they sort of solved it and found their identities who they really were mm-hmm. and the identity of the third child stays still unidentified, but the DNA test shows that she was biological daughter of Terry Rasmussen. That's that's the extent uh. of the uh, evidence that they have so far. But we don't know right. what the girl's name was, who her mother was, or like mm-hmm. we don't know the extent of that. But uh, yeah, crazy, crazy case. I don't know. I didn't know how to. <laughs> how to explain it all of that but there's like time timeline is so messed up and how they find who the murder is so it, crazy part is that they find out who that 
to who the family is and who the murderer is after the murderer is dead in jail. So they can't go and ask him what happened or... It's um strange to uh to find like to solve it, but you still don't have all the answers, obviously, because the only person who knows is already dead. Yeah. So, uh, so the crazy part is like it got solved in two thousand nineteen, and the bodies were found in nineteen eighty five, and the names. Now we know the names. Now we know the identity. Now we know what happened. And some sort of closure. Yeah, some sort of closure. And when I got to know about this case, I got to know about this case like three to four years ago. Then I didn't know all of this. And I was like one of those mm-hmm. people. It was still a mystery on who these victims right. were and what happened. And uh, like yeah. those. And we only had sketches at that time. Which is what I remember from mm-hmm. that case. Like, God, I don't know. It really haunted me, the barrels part. And those sketches really, I don't know. It just made me really feel bad. Because these were little, like small girls, one year old. And, yeah, it's um, awful. It was really awful. And at that time, it was just sketches. And just wondering what happened to them. Or what could have happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, because it was a mystery back then, right? But finally, we have a breakthrough. And now we know who these people are. Who these victims are. And there is a connection there so um so yeah it's kind of like a stephanie lazarus thing in a way that after so many years it's solved and um yeah i always find cold cases very interesting particularly like also like missing people cases because you just don't with with like a murder or something Mm -hmm. like that where there's a definitive outcome even though you don't know yeah like what happened but like with missing people who've never been found that's even more open-ended like really I, I find both both very interesting especially when uh, things happen like with these two cases we've discussed where they actually do manage to solve them somewhat in the mm. end somehow uh, yeah but mm-hmm. um i just make uh, i think the the part about uh missing identities really haunts me as well uh, like we have so many jane does and john does and mm. there is also this one called uh, I forget the name of the place. Some highway Jane Doe. So it was like a fourteen years old girl, oh, and they couldn't. Have you seen that I might, one? I might have read something. I don't know the name either. Um, so, yeah, um, I think I I like caught something scrolling. Um, yes, yeah, so it was some highway uh, Jane Doe. Uh, it was like someone, uh, a girl who was a teenager who ran from home. And uh, so I'm just going to like, I'm not going to go in all of the details of this case. What happened was that there was like no way of finding out who she was. So the, it was just based on her, the drawing, the facial reconstruction that it did. Um, yeah. And... Um, so there's there there are people who are like constantly reconstructing faces and trying to find um, who the family is, and I think in this case, after so many years, they found the family. I believe so, or I'm confusing you with another case. But there was this guy who's doing this, like he's reconstructing faces and trying to uh, put these on Facebook and stuff. So like if. Uh-huh. Some family member sees uh, someone they're, they're, that's missing, they can know, like, get a closure. Like, that's the whole thing yeah. that they're doing. And I think the Walker County Jane Doe was identified as well. Her family got the closure as well. So, yeah. 
so yeah um so there are like so many cold cases right now that people like you and me are trying to solve as well like there is a whole community yeah for some people it's like their whole life they dedicate yeah, yeah. you know they're not qualified or anything they're not being paid but it's just something they like to spend their time doing and I guess it's quite re- rewarding for people if they do actually manage to contribute especially yeah, yeah. especially if you have to like you solve the case or you give the family closure mm. I believe yeah sure uh, so yeah these are the mystery is that I was um sort of intrigued by and uh for me it was like the same experience it was a mystery and then it was solved recently and all of that but i want to move on to the jordi arias one which is not a mystery but it's it's not a mystery but it's quite an it's not anymore um yeah but i would love for you to run it by okay okay you can chime in with if I miss any details, but um, yeah, so this yeah, yeah. is the Jodi Arias case. Um, so she was a woman from California and she was dating this guy called Travis Alexander, who was quite active in the Mormon church and he was a motivational speaker and salesman and things. I think she was like a like an amateur photographer or something like that. That uh, comes into yeah. Uh, that- play later yeah yeah um so they dated and i think she she like converted to, to mormonism uh, yeah. his church yeah so it was like a pretty serious like she was committed obviously to do something like that she must have liked him a lot but i think between uh travis alexander's friends who knew jody arias uh there was always something not quite right about her like she was too she clingy was a little bit of a yeah free. she was too- uh, yeah clingy um and that was quite worrying to them but anyway they split up uh, i don't know around what time this took place this murder took place in 2008 and i think it was all started with uh, travis alexander uh he was due to go on a business trip to uh mexico and originally was it that they broke up and then they, they kept they seeing each up. other so what happened was that um Basically, they broke up, and, but Jody would just keep coming back to him. And he had a girlfriend mm-hmm. at that time, but Jody, yeah, Jody would true. just keep coming back to him. And uh, so, yeah, um, so Alexander yeah, really did. didn't want to deal with her. And what he was doing was he was going to not a business trip, but like a trip with his... It was like a retreat or something. A retreat with his new girlfriend is what he was going to do. But at this point, Jody is really crazy about him. And she she's and he is sort of also involved because there was a lot of so yeah, fooling around and they're doing it still. But for him, Mm -hmm. um, because he's Mormon and that's not allowed, like you cannot like in, in Mormonism, that's that was like the I think that was one of the reasons he really wanted to break up with Jody as well. So yeah, that that's the context um, he was going. Yeah, with. he was going there with his new girlfriend, and she wasn't happy, obviously, because he seemed to be getting on with his life with somebody else. Um, I think she 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 did strange stuff, like she hacked his social media, like his Facebook, and she was slashing his tires and I think like when they were dating it was kind of a long 
in parts it was a long distance relationship because she lived in California and he lived in Arizona. But she then she then moved uh a place called Mesa, I think. In Maricopa County in Arizona. Near him, yeah. Yeah, she moved to be near him. And yeah, so anyway, he's due to go on this business trip and like mid June. He was going with this new girlfriend. Now he wasn't heard from after June the 4th so there was a bit of sort of worry going on because he hadn't been heard from his friends ended up going around to his apartment five days later and they discovered his body so he had been murdered uh his body was a little bit decomposed so he'd been there for five days at that point so they determined that he'd been murdered on the 4th of June uh, this was now the ninth. Originally, I think the friends said things to the police about mm-hmm. Jody's behavior after finding him murdered because, like, he had it was it was like an array of injuries. It was uh, stab wounds, and it was he had pretty a, gruesome. A shot. Um, he's his throat was slit. Uh, very gruesome. Uh, yeah, like you said. So they they notified the police about the suspicions of Jody. So the police got her in for questioning. And <laughs> again, point, we will have the photograph. This point, do they have? I was going to miss that out completely. It's a good job you said that. So they found in the washing machine a camera like that had been through a cycle. So it was obviously like somebody had tried to destroy it, but uh, they were managed to recover the SD card from the camera. Uh, the police and they found pictures taken on like in the early hours of June the fourth uh, and throughout the day of Jody. And Travis, um, like, naked, like, messing around in his bedroom and, like, also in the shower. And then they also found, like, the last photos that were taken. There was one I guess it's of worth Travis. mentioning as well, like, where he was found and how it was found and how he was found. Yeah, so he was found... His friends went in and found, like, large pools of blood, like, in the hallway. Uh, and they went to the bathroom and it, he was discovered in the shower. Um, so, obviously, like... Knowing the photos, like the last photo, one of the last photos that was taken was him in the shower. So horrible one. Have and you then, seen that one? He's really scared. Yeah, he does. He does look uh, rather terrified. And then there, there was an, another photo that looked like it was taken, like when it was dropped or something. Of like oh, you can see like so part horrible. of a body and like blood. And somebody's uh, dragging the body. Yeah, so it's pretty gruesome. So obviously, like. That's a huge clue uh, for the police. So they get, obviously, because Jodie's on these photos, they get her in for questioning. Uh, and originally she claims that she wasn't even in Mesa. Did she say she was Salt? She was going to Salt Lake City or something? And she was meeting with a co-worker. So she, she'd rented a car and things like that. So they were able to check that out. And like there was things that didn't... Obviously, they knew she was, she was there because they had the photographic evidence. But... Um, there was things with like the rental and the distance she traveled, yeah, all um, the fuel and the miles on the car. Yeah, nothing added up to her alibi, which was supposedly that she was on this trip to Salt Lake City. So yeah, so they got her in. Uh, she behaved even more oddly than Stephanie Lazarus, I would say. Uh, yeah, yeah. If you if you, the full interrogation is available on YouTube, we will link it. But um. She sort of, like, when the detectives are out of the room, she's, like, singing to herself. Or at one point she gets up and does a handstand for no reason whatsoever. Um, She she sits under the tables. She fiddles through the trash can. 
It's very creepy when you know. It's really um, creepy, yeah. And she's doing she's absolutely, done. she's doing crazy things. I, I think she's doing it on purpose to just do. Yeah, I think she's trying to seem like this isn't bothering her. No, like she's I think she's trying to make her look like she, she's insane. She's insane, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, maybe you're right, actually. I don't know. Now she knows. Yeah, obviously, it's quite convincing. She knows because at this point, she knows that she's caught and she can't get away with it. Yeah, because they tell her about the photos and things, don't they? Yeah. And then she she concocts this whole new tale about that it was a, a home invasion. And, yeah. Uh, these was it like a guy and a girl murdered Travis. Yeah. And left her alive. Um, so that was her next. I forget why she originally said she wasn't there. Is it because she just didn't tell anybody? I guess. At Travis, she hadn't told place? the police about this. She hadn't like reported that these intruders had killed him. She was at Travis. I think she, when she was caught, she was even at Travis's funeral as well. Oh right. Oh god. Yeah, I mean, before she was, she was, she was at his funeral as well, and. Um, but yeah, after she got caught, she made up this story and she's acting crazy in the interrogation tape. And well, at this point, a lot of people said that she was pretty. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, I, anyone who's psychotic isn't pretty to you anymore, but yeah, I mean, it's been thrown around that she's attractive. And so like she, she was at this point, she's really She's blonde and attractive is how they um, uh, portray yeah. her in the media. And in the interrogation tape, she's just trying to look really innocent and silly or uh-huh. crazy and all of those headstands and singing and all of that. And But they've got that camera. And she must know that. So she does know that, she, obviously. She, she's doing it on purpose. Everyone should, anyone who's listening to this should watch the interrogation tape. They'll know more about it but at this point she now she's in jail do you do you want do you have you seen like all of her proceedings on how they um the the defense and prosecution how they built the case and how did she got the yeah sort of i know it did the defense start with um domestic abuse thing was that first off and then there was also claims of pedophilia like she said that oh god yeah it gets so messy Yeah, and they 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 play like phone sex uh, recordings in the courtroom. It's between bad. them. It's like, ugh. It's really. Um, uh, but yeah, her defense was that he was really abusive, and he was trying to. Oh yeah, his uh, her defense was eventually when she in the interrogation tape, she's like, before she's cooking up another story, and in the end, she says that he was really abusive. So he was the one who was, who was trying to kill him. Oh, sorry, kill her and she killed him mm-hmm. in self-defense that was her story like that was her defense yes and at multiple times she said that she blacked out <laughs> mm-hmm. um, she blacked out and she didn't know what happened she was trying to defend herself and travis was the one who was going to kill her and that would that was like yeah. a defense story she said like he um he tackled her like a linebacker and things, yeah and she didn't mean for the gun to go off but then that was a big red flag because didn't the autopsy determined that he'd been shot after yeah yeah that he was, was dead loophole in our story but if you I, like 
it's been a while to be honest that, that I was really immersed in Jordi Arias case but I watched all of her mm-hmm. trials and uh, the prosecution did an amazing job to like the prosecutor yeah. the prosecution was it I, Juan Martinez Juan was Martinez the... yeah absolutely and he is amazing anyone who wants to go and see he's built the case so strongly and amazingly and mm-hmm. he really grilled her down on the stand I, I'm really amazed by the way he took the proceedings in his hands and like defense is coming up with stories as well and he's just putting them down in the best possible way i'm just in awe and he's written a book yeah. about it as well um, oh has he really he has and it's called the untold story of putting jody arias behind bars and <sighs> it's all on youtube i don't know if you've seen all of the proceedings but uh, i've i've not seen everything i've seen quite a bit uh, she she took the stand herself for like eighteen she days, did. right? She's Which so is like stupid. unheard of. She's so stupid. <laughs> she is, and she was like, uh, I don't know if you've seen her interviews in from jail and all of the, her interviews, but what happened was I've she, seen like, a couple of like TV ones. Yeah. Blonde. She was really like blonde, and when she goes to jail, she is a brunette uh, with glasses on. So I guess the defense was going with his nerdy, sweet girl angle there is what like most people think and what prosecution thinks as well that they were the defense was going for abusive uh self-defense and this girl is innocent she she was just in a bad situation so she murdered travis that that was like defense's angle but if you uh, go and see her interviews from the jail or when she's going through this uh, trial she is kind of enjoying it all the attention as well and she's putting on her makeup i don't know if you've seen this footage where she is there so they've gone to interview her in the jail and she's just the only thing she's concerned about is the makeup that she's putting on if i look good or not and she's really enjoying the attention that she's getting and she's kind of a psychopath but it gets weirder and weirder so she had a jailmate who then came out and Mm-hmm. testified that Dodi Arias told her that she killed Travis. Like, there is just so much drama going around this case. and People are interviewing her and she's having the time of her life giving interviews. And So basically, uh, she how, how, much, how many years did she get? I uh, She got... Oh, 20. I so she, she got either life without the possibility of parole or with the possibility of nice. parole after 25 years. Uh, she shouldn't get the uh, so she got, possibility yeah, she got of life. parole. We don't want... Oh, we don't want Jody hopping around. Okay. I think they, they originally wanted the death penalty for her, didn't they? But um, Yeah, yeah, exactly. And uh, so in the end, when the jury is going to like give the verdict, uh, the victim's family comes out and they give their statements on like how it impacted them. And then the murderer or like accused comes out and give their statement on why they should be spared basically the death penalty that's where it comes so in this case travis's family is there and they're saying how much they loved him and all of that how much how horrible it was um which is really quite terrifying to be honest and then jody comes up with why she should live Mm -hmm. (laughs) a statement and usually in, in other cases, what happens is that accused family 
someone from the accused family comes up and says that you know please spare my sister or my brother or my son sure uh, that happened in the chris watts case as well uh, in which yeah. her his mom was his there mom, yeah. but in jody's case it's only like nobody from his family is coming out to say it. so it's jody herself who wants to say this statement i don't know if you've seen this one have you seen his her statement before the sort of the jury is going to give the verdict i don't think so I haven't. <laughs> it's 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 a very ridiculous. She goes like, did she um, wear like a t? I, I remember something about a t-shirt. Exactly. Yeah, t-shirt. That yeah, it? she said yeah. that. I, yeah, exactly. She, she's like, I will. Um, this is a t-shirt that I made in support of domestic abuse or something oh, like. God. She's raising awareness for domestic abuse, mm-hmm. and I don't know. I've learned art, art and craft, or I'm gonna uh, teach other prisoners this and that in the prison. And, <laughs> Um, like it's really really silly sort of spare me um, statement and um, yeah so that's like an interesting watch as well if anyone wants to see it they voted like 11 to 1 I think in favor so yeah and and then she has this she's so weird if you see her trial she's smiling at like Mm -hmm. a few points she's like smirking and smiling and and sometimes writing down something or yeah she's a classic sociopath the same kind of this weird behavior that she was doing interrogation tape that she has Mm -hmm. and she uh so yeah then she got the verdict and she was found guilty and i hope she never comes out (laughs) if she got parole she's got the possibility of parole but uh, what I found, like, I guess the photograph is something that haunts me a lot. Yeah. Uh, oh, it's quite a bloody thing. But what I uh, really, really, really got me interested was the whole proceedings and how Juan proceeded because prosecution did an amazing job and he he really grilled her on the stand. He was really silly, silly as well, but he got those jurors to get the 11 one uh-huh. uh, verdict. And uh, it's a crazy case. She is a psychopath, is what I can she say. She is, yeah, really something. Which makes you wonder, like, what happens and what makes people <laughs> do this stuff. Yeah, because you would think it's in the, it's kind of similar to Stephanie Lazarus in that it's like a crazy ex girlfriend situation. But this time, obviously, it's not the the new girlfriend that's killed. It's it's the it's the boyfriend. I guess. Um, I guess I don't know. I'm just sort of postulating on what sort of motivation but maybe if it's a sort of uh if i can't have him nobody can sort of motivation there maybe um that she was just so angry that he could move on from their relationship and she couldn't like it's but some somebody like her like obviously she was exhibiting these sort of strange behaviors while they were together as well as the friends here yeah, maybe it was just like, uh, you know, one thing after another and it escalated to this tragic outcome. But she's definitely, she's got crazy eyes too. She is. Girl. She's, um, it's just kind of similar to the Stephanie Lazarus crazy eyes as well. Uh, but Stephanie's like 100% crazy eyes and oh geez, gosh. <laughs> but in, in Jodie's case, she is, she's sometimes really calculated. Like the way she, she takes the stand, like I keep imagining her face and the way that she smirks and she's, she thinks she's ahead of the game or she, she thinks yeah, she, she, she knows does. something divine or like beyond human understanding. The way that she looks at you, the way that she answers is 
Yeah, and at no point like... she sort of, from I remember, her getting like flustered or like she always played it off. Yeah. Totally yeah, like cool. Exactly. Um, which is more unnerving than anything. She's not. Uh, I think that in the original interrogation, she gets nervous a bit. If mm-hmm. you, if you see uh, when they're getting like, but after that, she has this I don't know I don't care kind of attitude towards the whole thing. And yeah. like in Stephanie Lazarus' case, you can see that she is freaked out and she knows what she's going to get. And even if you see her in the court, you see her like the crazy eyes and how freaked out she is. But in Jodie's case, she is like on a high. Yeah, that's true. She's sort of getting a buzz off it. Because there was a lot of media attention around that case, obviously, like we've talked about. Yeah. And she just sort of liked the limelight, I guess. Who knows what's going on in these people's heads? (laughs) Who knows? Which is what we'd want to discuss next. (laughs) Yeah, well. (laughs) So what what do you think? I think there are many cases in which... It has to do with fueling very basic human emotions. Like everyone feels jealousy or everyone feels hatred and everyone has these, like everyone has these dark sides, right? Nobody is perfect and nobody has never felt this way before. Uh, The only problem that I see is sort of the nurturing or nourishing that bad thing, which becomes the monster then Mm -hmm. that takes you over. And that they take control of you. So yeah, you, you get consumed by these overwhelming feelings and urges, and yeah, it's all consuming. That's that's where it goes wrong, I think. Like you said, envy or rage or you know, and often like often it's uh, it's out of proportion. Obviously, it is if it ends up in murder. Yeah. So it's this warped sense of of justice or of revenge that comes to these people and leads them to do what what they do like most most people wouldn't get to that stage they'd have that filter or they'd have that stopping point but obviously for some people it's the feelings are too too intense or too much and that's what i was saying that um and it happens to and it could happen to anyone is what i'm saying um so you have these negative emotions and positive emotions and all of that like everyone has them in the ranges and some people have higher and some people have lower and mm-hmm. but what i feel is the more that you you're nourishing it the more it's a seed right jealousy is a seed uh, yeah. envy is a seed all of these things are a seed the more you um make it grow Mm-hmm. the harder it would be for you to get rid of it or make it not be there anymore and if you kill it at when it's budding that then it's not gonna grow into something is what i feel i guess i am a i'm a human as well and i feel these emotions as well yeah um, and that's what i've learned and found out is that unless you kill it when you see it it's going to consume you guilt envy um one of the worst emotions i feel like you yeah you can get definitely because obviously anger, i guess anger rage all of that is sort of the deadly um, sins yeah stemmed from them isn't it yeah all of the deadly and, and i really i don't know for some reason i really uh, like like the list of those deadly sins i think this mm-hmm. should really be sins <laughs> it's really if really you bad cover Even, all corners i guess all that's bad yeah even the, I guess, the gluttony one. Mm-hmm. What is it? I guess that is also true. I really, really 
That is a big one for people. Um, yeah. Because you, they can be applied to... So many things, yeah. So many things. It's not just, obviously, gluttony to be gluttonous. It's it's all about excess. Like, everything... Obviously, the saying is everything in moderation, and that is the opposite, is where you take things to those extremes mm. and you overindulge, which and is a problem true. for a lot it's of people, I think. It's a really bad thing. Like... Of course, there's the whole discussion of what is a sin, the heaven and hell, and all that. that's a discussion for some other time, but mm-hmm. um, it's a bad thing. I, I think everyone can agree that it's a bad thing. You're really making me want to watch Seven again. <laughs> oh my, do you want to? Uh, what's, what's in the box? What's in the box? <laughs> what's in the box? Yeah. Oh, I haven't watched it for like, what? What will it be now? Like seven months. <laughs> Yeah, actually. These uh, feelings, these uh, urges, basic motivations, like we said. Yeah, so, so all of us have these urges and we ha- all, all of us have these emotions. But uh, from my experience, what I feel, the more you feed it, the more it's going to turn you into something that you're not. And like there are so many aspects to it. There is the... So I always think that the early 10 years of your life is very important um, Mm -hmm. for the person you're going to be shaping up, but also your emotional intelligence, your emotional, how you you are and how you feel and how you behave. And it stems from there, like all of your traumas or insecurities and whatever Mm -hmm. that is. I feel like so many of them stems from there because if those are early years, you didn't have help or you didn't have, the guidance or you didn't have structure or you didn't have well, discipline is a big one any clue then you you you're in trouble for the rest of your mm-hmm. life and most of these people if you go back to the serial killers and anyone they've had these so what happened to Dodie here right she was insecure yeah and she and that insecurity turned into envy and then mm-hmm. envy turned into rage and murder so yeah. like all of these are stemmed from something stemmed from experiences nobody is born to be insecure nobody is born uh with greed nobody is born to with envy nobody is born with lust and all of these things and in Jody's case there was all of these things lust envy and these are stemmed from something something that they lived in their lives something that they've experienced and you don't know you don't know how these early years were for these people and they might have lived a normal life but all of those ghosts of the past come back and then they become these psychopaths or sociopaths yeah. that they are like nobody is going to be born a sociopath yeah that's true i guess we can get it's... into the sort of discussion obviously because in a lot of these cases it's <laughs> Uh, you can go back and you can sort of pinpoint some childhood trauma or some yeah. neglect or some sort of element. But obviously, not everybody who experiences those things as a child grows up to being a uh, be a murderer or take that on negatively. Some people, uh, it goes in the opposite direction and they reject all of that. But obviously, from the evidence there is and the correlation between them, there is a a huge case for the the nurture side of development to play a huge part and obviously to be integral but the nature side of it if we're going to talk about that I guess that would be the difference between people with similar experiences growing up who take these different Mm -hmm. paths so what is it that ultimately decides whether they are acting on these feelings or if they're not 
and if they choose to make something better of themselves um, it is very interesting have you ever seen that documentary called three identical strangers by any chance no it's on netflix isn't it i've scrolled past it many a time it is uh, uh d- can i give like a background story because it just sure. really relates to the nature versus it's not a question Mm-hmm. that yeah. we ask like if we are if it's the nurture that makes us this way or is it the nature that makes us this way um so i'll just far like quickly go through that story anyone yeah. who wants to watch the story it's on netflix it's a very good documentary and it's surrounding the nature versus nature question so i think it was 1980s and this guy walks in a high school he's in he's 17 and people are calling him by some other name and he's like what's happening i'm not that he found out that he has an identical brother and at this point he has no clue that he has a brother he finds out that he was adopted and he has an identical brother and he goes to his brother's home and they meet and it's a story that how these two identical brothers who were adopted found each other and all of that so what happens is they're in the news both of them and what happens is that there is a third brother so they are triplets and third brother is is saw the newspaper and he's like what i'm the third one and he goes and they found out that they were triplets and they were i guess they they had they were born to a jewish mom and Mm -hmm. there was asylum or Maybe she died, like she died in the birth, childbirth or something or after that. And they were adopted and three of them were um, given to three different families. And that's the extent of it that they know for so far. So they're going out and they're giving interviews and it's it's a very interesting story. The three, the triplets are united. Mm -hmm. But what happens is that their families are now like... The families didn't know that they're getting a part of a triplet. Like they're really s- surprised what's happened, right? Uh, and they never knew that this is like these boys have brothers uh, or family. Okay. Um, and now they go back to from where they adopted, and they want to question them, like the people they got it from, like what, why didn't they share? Now it gets fishy. So what happens is that they go and see them and what's happening is there's there was this psychiatrist who was running a study a nature versus nurture study and this was all orchestrated by them on purpose and the right. study was that one of the brothers they were going to give to a like a blue collar like economic, it's an economic level parenting style study mm-hmm. so they were going to give one of the brother to like a blue collar one to the middle class and one to an affluent background yeah. and because they're triplets they wanted to study them over the years on how they behave like what's their behavior and how the um sort of the economic level is impacting their lives yeah and what they told the parents was that they would come once a year and ask them uh like this they would study they, they would study the your child uh just because you know we're, we're part of that adoption and we want to see if the kids are doing okay like that was the story however what they were doing was they were studying them and um um 
once this was all in open, they sealed up the study and they packed up the shop and left. Uh, but that study is still sealed, and I think it's gonna come out after they die or something like. Right. Um, it seems that it's got to be a huge ethical violation. Yeah, it's it's, it's all of that. So yeah, they packed up. It was really bad. It was kind of illegal, and they packed it up. Sure. But um, so that the the, the documentary uh, covers this nature versus nurture aspect of it, and. Um, the three of them now really messed up. But one thing that they observed was that they have so many similar behaviors, the way that they used to throw the tantrums. And mm-hmm. they have many psychological problems as well. And uh, if you like Google it, you, you'll see their interviews when they were founded and all of that. But in recent years, uh, one of the brothers killed himself. Oh, shit. And uh, so another two. Yeah. Uh, so they all they go deeper into why which class which class was that brother from I think it was the middle class one or right um, I don't remember but I'll have to confirm um, but yeah so and I think what they found out was the one that killed got, that killed himself was had troubled relationship with his father right is what eventually pushed him to limits there was another thing that each one of these brothers had an adoptive older sister as well like the families that they choose that that sort of the family dynamics that they wanted was similar was well. similar they tried okay. to so it was it that could isolate the economic factor i guess in the study yeah by having a similar so it's an structure. interesting um it's an interesting watch if you want to watch it and so uh, yeah that's that's the that's what they're trying to find out like what is it is it nature is it the nurture how, what how yeah, I will watch that. I will watch it this week. Sounds very interesting. So yeah, Although it's very, it's very interesting. From an ethical, lots of lots of fishy things happening there for sure. It's very, it's it's bad, is what they did. Uh, but at the same time, it's the question. It's the ultimate question. It's the chicken and egg problem, isn't it? Um, mm-hmm. Like, is it the nature? Is it the nurture? What is it that? makes us the way that we are right how what's the percentage of it is 50 percent nature is it 50 percent nature what is it i guess it's impossible to answer because every child is brought up in some sort of environment so that nurture element is you cannot extract that really from from nature i guess what they did is is sort of one of the best ways to do it like with the identical uh, siblings but yeah. Uh, so yeah, we were talking about these uh, murders and what makes them do it and what makes them tick and is it. <sighs> so yeah, the same thing happens to someone who's next to you. Like me and you, are we going to take the events that we see and mm-hmm. be going to behave differently to them based on how maybe we were raised or based on? Yeah, how... and it's. I guess it's infinitely complex because everybody has different subtle changes and distinctions in the way they perceive events or you know like everybody has these thought processes they go through obviously we have similar feelings like we're talking about um of like envy or anything like that but then also everybody has a separate perspective and Mm -hmm. other people you know what like what is it that determines that and you never really know I wonder if some of these people who did these things ever knew they were capable of it like some obviously did but mm-hmm. were there some people who were sitting obviously like me and you here thinking yeah one day like like I could never do that and then one day you do and 
what were the changes that went on psychologically for you to get to that point it's very uh disturbing when you put it like that to sort of think about it like for yourself yeah it really is but um honestly i have not so that's where criminal psychology comes in and to be honest i've never um i really like watching interrogation tapes i really like how the defense is building up the case and all of that but Mm -hmm. i've never really dug deeper into criminal psychology in a way that i understand it or i have cases like where i try to understand like what is going on psychologically and what's the what's the other yeah. aspects of it but i from what i understand is it's 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 emerging from all of these either the way that you were growing up uh mm-hmm. the environment that you were in and feeding to those negative emotions uh and not cutting them when they were just about to grow which yeah. leads yeah and then there's just so much to of the society aspect of it all like so many murders are being done for the money and yeah i guess um, my my sort of knowledge of it comes from my study of sociology in college um yeah but yeah like for the as for the psychological aspect um that's something i I know less about but i've sort of got my education from youtube like you um, <laughs> yeah and I've been reading like I've read like a couple of psychology books but nothing too deep like almost like surface level um yeah so I have the sociological perspective which is very again very basic level but um I would like to dig deeper into the psychological side of it I guess which is uh, the dominant yeah. side but yeah your message of uh the analogy of the uh the seeds and the buds and the flower like and that's how i feel that's how i feel for myself i'm not sure how it is for other people no i think it's applicable but... to to life in general i think it's good advice for anybody to to sort of visualize it in that in that way to not let the uh the feelings bloom to sort of stick to your analogy uh, i think it's good <laughs> advice um because every like we said at the beginning, everybody has these urges, and yeah. there's always that point of no return. Yeah, what? It's a bit of a sort but, of dreary uh, you know, note. I feel like some people are really unlucky, unlike unlucky to not have the kind of support or anything yeah. around them. I think it has to do Definitely. with that as well. If you're really alone, alone with your, and if you look at all of these murders and serial killers, they were really alone, alone. Like yeah. if you like. Ted Bundy, Richard Ramirez, Jeffrey Dahmer, all of these people. And uh, even these, if you go for, at some point, they were really alone, alone. And they didn't have anyone around them. Not that it's an excuse because lots of people are alone, alone. Mm -hmm. But it's, I think it's really bad when you are in like this really dark place in your head and then you have no one who could just put sense into you or someone who, who's, who's sort of keeping you away from the dark side. Like there are people around us who keep us away from the dark yeah. side. And in most of these cases, these people didn't have anyone. Yeah, I think a lot of obviously people cannot, hopefully won't be able to relate too much to the people you mentioned, like Ted Bundy or Jeffrey Dahmer, whoever. Yeah, yeah. But I think, I think most people can identify with those feelings of being alone or being in a, a dark place. Yeah. And it doesn't, obviously it doesn't make it more understandable, but you can see how those sorts of conditions on a vulnerable mind, not making any excuses, but on a vulnerable mind can 
lead to you know there's no, like you said there's nobody to offer that other perspective that would mm-hmm. um sort of shift course shift their course yeah because obviously when you have these all-consuming feelings it's very hard yourself to to navigate um that without um causing harm to yourself or others so uh it definitely helps to have that that external presence around you to uh to sort of keep you on the right track we all have things going on in our heads and you could have 100 external influences but one good external influence can really change your life Mm. for the Mm -hmm. better or for the worse i feel and i think it has to do with being lucky Mm-hmm, than sure. anything to do with us with me and you it's like you're really lucky to have that external influence is keeping you sane to be honest yeah sure i think that might be a good place to wrap unless you have anything yeah. else to say sort no. of a nice a <laughs> no. nice note to end on i guess <laughs> nice not to add on uh what i want to do is i want to like dig a bit more deeper in the criminal psychology aspects of it mm-hmm. and maybe if we want to do like part two like other parts of the murder mystery series at some point in future we uh-huh. can do that but it's something that i actively get immersed yeah. in because of the mystery part and all of these aspects of human psychology that we want to look at yeah so maybe after a year or so or after a few months sure i have uh, we can revisit yeah we can revisit the psychological aspects of it in more mm-hmm. depth to understand a bit more because me and you are really the amateurs here <laughs> there are people who've spent their lifetime understanding sure. this uh, so we're just really scratching the surface at the moment yeah of course of um, course i think i think we've yeah. um if we're gonna do seasons or anything we sort of started it uh, nice and abstract with the creativity thing but we've gone to a a darker yeah. place um dark i think place. we can yeah, do like a whole season that. on you know obviously we can get into the serial killer episode i'm sure there'd be more than one of that and other things like the like we were saying last week about the mysteries and the expeditions and all of that disasters you know yeah um, yeah yeah and yeah. then maybe in time we can we can revisit these subjects but i uh, i really don't mind talking about this subject uh, and i and i like i i understand how it's a really dark mm-hmm. subject but at the same time it's the reality of the world it's the, that is true it's what it is it's what it is it, and if we if we avoid these difficult topics subjects to discuss mm-hmm. is what's the reason we are here right now that these subjects exist unless we go and sit down and try to understand why it's happening we we would never come to get rid of them right we won't we, we, will, we will not have any solutions to it so, that is certainly um, true so it's dark uh it's bad but it's it's interesting it needs to be discussed it needs to be. it's interesting and it's, it's um, interesting but at so at the same time it needs to be talked about and being just to be discussed yeah it's true so we make sense of it yeah right then Uh, i guess we'll see you guys next week if you like what you heard in this episode please subscribe to us on apple spotify or wherever you get your podcasts thanks for listening